Welcome to Terrify Me, a podcast about scary stories in fact, fiction, and folklore. I'm your host, Anthony Frost, and today I'm joined by Caleb Stevens. He's written a book called If Only a Heart, which is a collection of short stories. So, Caleb, how are you doing? Hey, Anthony, thanks for having me on. I'm doing great today, so I'm just happy to be here and chat with you a little bit. Uh, pleasure's all mine. Uh, so, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, just a little? Yeah, so uh, I'm from Denver, Colorado, Um, have three girls, so kind of the early family years, uh, which is, it's a good time. Uh, In between that and and work, I'm a a CPA and uh, controller, so I run an accounting department, but in between that, I I try to fit as much time as I possibly can into writing, and in particular with dark fiction, you know, horror thriller type genre writing, so that's really my I mean, passion and where I spend as much free time as I possibly can without my wife killing me. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does sound like you're an incredibly busy guy. I would, you know, the acknowledgement section of your book, you speak a little bit about uh, the crazy hours you put in with your career and stuff like that. It's, Absolutely. It's, yeah. It's a lot. Bit of an inspiration for me, actually, because I'm starting to enter a really busy stage of my life. Um, yeah. You got yeah. one coming up yourself. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I got one on the way. And I'm, I'm studying as well. I'm studying um, maths and computing. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So uh, as a 31-year-old, I sort of decided I'd learn to count, basically. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm doing a degree in maths and computing, hoping to earn a bit more money to buy the kid nice things. Hey, you know what? I went back to school and got my degree in accounting. I think I was around 24 or 25, so you're not too far behind me, really. And it, yeah. it worked well, so. Perfect. Well, hopefully, you know, I can emulate a bit of your success. It sounds like things are going really well for you. The yep. book is really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, really, really nice sort of like tight collection. Well, thank you for taking the time to read it. Appreciate that. Oh, thank you for allowing me to read it. It was really good. I really liked it. Sort of, the way it came together was, to me, like quite reminiscent of like a, like a metal album, right? Like the older metal albums where it's like, it's coherent, but like each thing is, is still its own thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that analogy. That's fantastic. I'm, I, I kind of want to put it as a blurb now. <laughs> well, feel free. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I really... Uh, so let's start by talking about the opening story a little bit, actually, because this one, am I correct in saying it's been, it's where it's being uh, adapted into a short film? So yeah, The Wallpaper Man, kind of an interesting story. I wrote this story back in at the, well, I'll even step back further. I used to be the assistant editor for a magazine called uh, Gehenna in Hinnom. And uh, it was a, you know, dark fiction, cosmic uh, publication. It was a lot of fun. And as part of that, right before I, I came on as editor, I actually submitted a story called The Wallpaper Man to them. Um, it got published. And then I decided to take, I, I randomly had a guy reach out, actually. I'd written a story uh, on Medium, if you're familiar with Medium, mm-hmm. about the benefits of writing short stories. And through that, just randomly had a, uh, a guy who was starting up a horror podcast get a hold of me and asked if I wanted to be on the show, be the, the first show, actually. And, uh, I, I gave him the wallpaper man. He happened to like it and, and put it out there. And uh, I don't know, maybe a couple months later, I had a, a director from Los Angeles uh, send me an email just randomly <clears throat> and asked if I'd be interested in potentially turning that into a film ad- adaptation. And I got way, way too excited about that and called mm-hmm. my parents and, you know, immediately thought um, I was going to have a full feature film here. And you know how that kind of goes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, took a little while. I should say longer than a while, but we, we wrote several scripts 
Um, he pitched the idea to several people. He actually owns it's it's more of a sort of a professional commercial agency, but he's done quite a few short films too. Really, really, really talented guy. His name is, is Amit Gupta. And uh, he runs a, a, an agency called Falconer Film and Media. But uh, I guess fast forward for three, four years, uh, finally, he decided to go ahead and just fund this, this short film. Um, so flew out there earlier this year in January with my dad which was really cool, by the way, just to take your dad to, uh, you know, the filming of one of your short stories was, was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was really surreal. Flew out there with him and we had a day to do it. Um, there's a, a valley called, it's called Simi Valley that we used as the location. And they, they rented a uh, old spooky, creepy house. And me and my dad showed up and felt super out of place. You know, there's equipment everywhere. There's the actors, there's the directors, all these people who sort of seem to have jobs. And, you know, me and my dad wandering around and, you know, I guess eating snacks, set snacks and just joking around as much as we could with, with a few of the assistants, but feeling sort of out of place. Like I said, we just, we watched it film. It went the entire day. Um, you know, they, it was again, just really, really surreal. They had um, a couple, maybe it was just one, but quarter million dollar camera on set, you know, just ridiculous amounts of equipment that um, I had no idea basically what it, what it functioned as boom mics, all that, all that stuff. Um, and uh, 12 hours, just go, 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 you know, scene changes. And at the end of it, you, you know, we got a, a six and a half minute short film. So. Nice. Yeah. It does sound incredibly exciting. Uh, uh, that does sound like, you know, you, even without getting the film at the end, just like the experience of sort of, seeing that sounds so much so much fun it was a blast and it was something i never ever expected that to have happen actually even even when we were writing the screenplays and you know because we have a full feature we're trying to sell a full feature um Mm -hmm. even then i was just like oh this is never going to happen so you know amit would pop in every three three four months ask me to do something i would do it get the the work back to him you know think i'd never Mm -hmm. hear from him again lo and behold he'd come back a few months later and you know spin a few ideas past me and really the way that I guess films work these days when you're trying to sell a feature is it's not so easy these days to just walk in and, and hand uh, a producer a script, right? Like what they really want is what's called a proof of concept. And so that's why they do these short films. You, you kind of get an eye for the director's talent, right? And, and mm-hmm. it's incredibly talented. The, the film's super professional. Um, but basically you, you hand this this proof of concept to a producer or an investment company. And if they're interested, they will say, okay, let me see the, the, the full feature script, right? So this is all sort of in an effort to get uh, a chance to hand them a script. And we have two different versions of that script too. Uh, but yeah, back to your point, it was just, it was just, it was just a, a blast, something I never expected to have happen. A ton of fun. I, I, I absolutely want to do it again. I, I feel like I, I got a taste for it now. So yeah, awesome. That is really good. Something um, to the wallpaper man sort of, I think it sets a really good tone for the whole book because there's something like first of all, it deals with sort of like familial theme, themes and stuff like that. And, you know, you know, like things happening in the wake of loss and stuff like that, which is themes that you return to a lot over the course of the book. But another thing, it, it sort of evokes a sort of urban legend feel to it more than like a classic monster feel, which I think... Uh, it's something that does happen a fair bit in this and I think it's really cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, one of the things I try to do, I mean, I, I would say that a lot of my stories, 
have some somewhat of a traditional feel, but what I try to do is at least subvert it with creatures or monsters or situations that you haven't really seen before, at least I hope. Um, so do spend some time in putting together, you know, I like I like the definition or the the classification of urban an urban feel there. So, hmm. excellent, yeah. And um, so a couple of other stories I definitely wanted to mention just straight off the bat was um, obviously the title story, "If Only a Heart," um, which I found it to be quite a, like a like a frantic read, like it was sort of like thrillerish experience almost because it was just like you know couldn't take my eyes away sort of thing um you're, you're quite good at that pacey stuff like controlling the pace and making them like making stories but, yeah thanks i appreciate that yeah you know if only a heart it's it's kind of funny too a lot of these stories are older I, I, i've yeah. written them in between several novels oh yeah yeah if only a heart was one of the first ones i got published and so I, when i was going through all my short stories trying to figure out like what i would put into this collection that one almost barely made the cut. Um, in my opinion, it's one of the, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if I want to call it weaker, but it's just an earlier story, right? And you're, you're writing changes over time. So I spent a good, good amount of time actually trying to edit and polish it and bring it up to sort of my, what I would consider my current writing standards. Um, but yeah, that said, I don't know if it's as coherent of story as, as some of the others, but just for what you said, it's sort of like, you know, you're in current space, you're in flashback. Um, it's sort of like, you know, a lot of action happening and, uh, and, and I enjoy this story. Don't get me wrong. And, and actually the reason I titled, I titled the book, if only a heart was really for no other reason than the fact that I just liked the title, right? Like, mm, I think it's sure. more catchy than in my other titles. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've worked a lot on pacing and I think that's a, that's something that takes a long time to get sort of proficient at. And, and I'm sure mm. you maybe would agree with that with your own writing. Yeah. And, and I've read some of your writing and love it, by the way. Uh, but Thank yeah, you. it's, it's, it's something that like with pacing, you know, you can have your, the pedal to the metal the entire time. Right. And you can wear someone out and then mm. you can kind of have no pacing and it's all character development and you're going to bore people. And so it's, it's really learning that, that blend and that balance between the two. And I think I'm just now starting to sort of get that a, a real feel for that an instinctual feel for that. So kind of curious as to your take on the whole pacing thing in general too, in your own writing as well. Well, I mean, it's a bit of a weird one actually, because like a lot of my stories tend to start really slow and then pick up like progressively get faster and faster. That's kind of what I naturally tend to lean towards. I would say that pace is probably one of the things that I'm least good at doing like at least good at manipulating um just because i like to like really set a scene and then just start fucking with it basically mm -hmm. yeah. um yeah uh it's just yeah i think it just comes from reading like a lot of like old gothic novels and stuff like a lot i read a lot of older stuff where they spend a lot of time setting things up before diving in so that tends to be what i do just have it gained from there um i do think basing is hard it's something that i wouldn't want to work on a lot more in my own writing like controlling it a bit more like starting sort of in media res it's not something i'm good at but yeah well, I mean. you, you know i'd say with your your tail and bloodlines which i really liked i, I felt mm -hmm. like you did a great job yeah it's kind of what i got is you sort of ground us in the, the scenario and the situation mm -hmm. and then uh really got into the meat of it and the, the pacing really picked up so yeah. as far as i could tell you know I, I thought you did great with the pacing there too but yeah just just what you said it's it's tough man i I think that's one of the 
underappreciated skills of an author, right? Is pacing. Yeah, definitely. It's a real, it's more of an art than a science, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, you know, the manner in which you're using language, the kind of story you're telling, well, that's going to affect what kind of pace is appropriate. Right. Like it's just, there's so many factors that go into what the pace should be. Right. Uh, yes. It's difficult to know what to do really. I mean, it's one of those things where you can only, you can only get better at it through feedback. I think like you yeah. need other people to read your writing and tell you this was too slow. This is too fast. This didn't start quick enough. Absolutely. Um, you know, or, you know, this, like, I didn't know what was going on because it, it was too quick or whatever. Like, you know, you need people to be giving you that feedback. Uh, it's one of those things I don't think you can actually figure out on your own. Um, you can't, along with so many others too, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed If Only a Heart. Um, even if it's not entirely reflective of, where you've, of how you view a writer today, I think uh, there's something about the franticness of it which appeals to me. Because I like stuff where, I like stories where I'm not entirely sure what happened by the end of it. That's, um, that's definitely that story. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's yeah, just it, my taste. Here. It's been. It seems like that story has been a little polarizing too. Either people really love, love it or they they hate it. Actually, so yeah, yeah. I can see that. I can see it for sure. Yeah, yeah. And one more story I wanted to mention in particular. Well, two more actually. But first off, uh, the crowing, I thought was fantastic um yeah i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed the setting i really enjoyed the <clears throat> the sort of dark fantasy-ish vibes running through it um although it was medieval rather than fantasy like historical um but it, it felt like a really well-told sort of dark fantasy story and uh, that was it from howls in the dark ages right yeah that's that's correct and I, i'm sure your your listeners have heard before that you're, you're part of house society which has yeah. been a lot of fun it's where where we met yeah <laughs> And they do the uh, sort of an annual writing project. Yeah. And so with the crying, and this is interesting to me in general, actually, something, again, that I've learned over time with writing, but um, I'm, I would say I'm not a huge medieval horror fan, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's not something that I would have ever written on my own. Uh, when I saw the call for it, I was almost like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I want to spend the time really getting into that, but mm -hmm. um I, you know, I wrote it and, and, and by the time it was done, I actually really struggled with that story, to be honest. Um, mm. I feel like I threw too much in. There's so many different arcs. It's almost, or, or little plot, plot, plot points. I'd almost say that, it, that there's more, uh, more of a novel feel to it or a beginning of a, a novel feel to it. But <clears throat> by the end, you know, it's like I had a blast and I, and I really liked how the story turned out. And, it, and it's something, again, that I wouldn't have done unless I was prompted. And uh, I'm starting to find that, or, or what I'm even seeking out is, is getting into genres and, and anthology calls, short story calls that I wouldn't normally get into because I'm actually having a blast writing these genres that I formerly thought I hated, right? Like Western, for instance, mm. so I'd never been, never been a big Western guy. Right. And uh, there was a call um, a while back and, and I wrote one of the stories that wound up in the anthology or sorry, that my collection, which is stay out of the swamp Jasper do set uh, just had a blast writing that one too. I just, I mean, I, I guess, you know, it's real easy to sort of limit yourself on what, what you're writing. And, and what I'm learning is over time, it's fun to actually branch out and try to do new things too. So I appreciate that you liked the crowing and um, yeah, I think it turned out well. Yeah, it did. It really did. I think, yeah, there's a lot of value in experimentation. It's, it's amazing seeing what can pop out. Um, yeah. Like uh, that, the bloodline story was a really big experiment for me, actually. Um, uh, it's it's quite different really? from most of, yeah yeah it's quite different from 
a fair bit of my other writing. What, it's much what, like. I'm oh, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say, what would you say you normally like to focus on? Are you more cosmic or? Yeah. So um, I tend to write mostly uh, sort of like a mashup of gothic and weird, basically. Um, sometimes with like some crime or mystery elements and I might tone down the gothic stuff, but that sort of, yeah, that's, that's, that sort of thing. I don't usually go like, um, I don't usually, I, I very rarely write in first person. Uh, mm. I, I prefer to keep a little bit of distance from my protagonist usually, but that was uh, like the story in Bloodhounds is actually very, like, very personal. Like I used a lot of details from my own life in that. Uh, you know, I remember you saying that and, and just curious if you felt maybe a little more immersed in the story by writing first person. I think so. Yeah. I think it was necessary for that story for me to do it in first because I was using, because it was a themed about like, you know, the theme of the anthology was, oh, well, yeah, well, yeah we'll call it an anthology, I guess. The theme of it was family. So I felt the need to sort of dig into my own family stuff and uh, yeah, just, yeah. yeah. You know? Um, so I, I, fe I felt like I needed to do that one in first and I felt like I needed to like express a lot of my own shit through it, but um, yeah. it was, it was very cathartic writing it, but uh, yeah, it was, it was devastating in some ways right it's difficult it i could, I could really i could really feel that come through actually in that story that the ending of that to that story is tremendous too so i won't spoil it for the listeners but if they haven't had a chance to pick up the the, the bloodlines it's four novellas really <clears throat> i'd say or novelettes but it's fantastic i really enjoyed that read it was a lot of fun so yeah oh, thank you i appreciate that it was a lot of fun writing it the whole project was so much fun to put together with those with the other guys uh mm -hmm. yeah it was I'm only bummed I wasn't a part of it, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we, I think we did say at one point that if we were going to do another one, we'd invite one or two extra people on. And I'm sure your name came up at some point. Yeah, I'm raising my hand. So just let me know. All right. I'll remember. I'll remember that. Definitely. Um, so another story I wanted to talk about a little bit was before leaping around and talking about the collection as a whole was, I just wanted to quickly mention uh, the backward map. That one, uh, I really liked it, like, a lot. I, th I thought it was very, like, yeah, I think, man, it's like the whole story is a metaphor for something. I can't quite place it, but it feels like there's some real powerful, deep meaning there. I just can't find a way to express it. But, yeah, it's it, it's that <clears> one's <throat> really cool. That's one I'd like to see adapted, actually. I think that would make a cool little movie. Yeah, ab absolutely. No, thanks. appreciate that one. That surprisingly also that one's getting a lot of love um well read beard said it was his favorite one when he reviewed my collection which oh, which yeah. was great and and uh it's one of those stories that i sort of banged out pretty quickly mm -hmm. and then didn't put a whole lot of thought into and it just you know it was one of those sort of organic writing processes but i, I tend to especially with a lot of my shorts i sort of the idea starts as a visual right and so i was mm -hmm. thinking hey what if a kid sees you know across the street a super tall guy in a uh, i don't know a frock coat and a top hat and he is backwards right and and he sort of moves in a, in a really sort of frightening way with inverted you know limbs and joints I, sh I guess i should say and he only walks backward and the kid never sees him and he's sort of a premonition for things that are going to happen that are bad right mm. and he just sees them every time i just thought you know how creepy would it be if you only saw the back of somebody so I ran with that concept and it's, and it's really how I get a lot of my story ideas. It's just, 
an idea pops in my head and, and it won't leave. It's just, or this picture. Right. And I'm like, okay, I guess I got to write it. Cause it sits there for so long that hmm. it means that I think I'm onto something maybe subconsciously, but, yeah. but that, that one, yeah, as far as a metaphor goes, I'm, I'm kind of there with you and that I wouldn't know exactly how to describe it, but I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. It was like the self-fulfilling prophecy aspect to it. Um, totally. Yeah, yep. there's, there's stuff going on there. Like, uh, I yeah, my subconscious hasn't quite processed it properly, but, uh, yeah, I'll probably wake up one night in like 15 years' time and just be like, that's it. That's what I mean <laughs> well, let me, let me know if you find out what it is because I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Right, right. Yeah, I'll keep you in the loop, man. I'll keep you in the loop. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's uh, that's another one which I feel had a really good sort of um, like 21st century internet urban legend feel to it. Like uh, like I can see like the backwards man and slender man playing poker in a bar somewhere, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be a good story in and of itself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just some sort of like fourth dimensional drinking hole where all the cryptids hang out. Yeah. Um, the other creepy pasta monsters can be in there with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, creepy pasta monsters. There's some funny ones these days, aren't there? Like, I feel like the, the first generation of the creepy pasta monsters with like Slender Man and stuff like that all sort of vaguely made sense. And then there's like Siren Head is one of the <laughs> recent ones I saw. It's like, like a, a giant man with a siren, literally for the siren for a head or something. So I, I feel like they've gotten a little out of control, but I still enjoy mm. it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love the whole concept. It's like the SCP thing. You know what that is? Part of SCP? I don't think I do. It's an online wiki where basically it's, it stands for Secure Containment Protocol. And it's this online wiki where about um, a fictional like international organization that sort of captures and and contains the like basically the content of uh, creepypasta stories, essentially. So like, so like each entry in the wiki is another sort of weird thing. Like it might, like there's like a door that just turns up in places sometimes and you go through it and it's infinite staircases. Um, and there's like different kinds of monsters and objects that do messed up things. And uh, yeah, it's just like a, it's, it's like this whole kind of like meta universe of uh, creepypasta stories, which I think is, it's, a, it's like this giant collaborative storytelling project, essentially. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I love the meta feel of that. And it's kind of funny just in general, right? Like there's a lot of communities these days that are just bringing authors a, a lot more attention than traditional paths. Right. So mm -hmm. another one would be the no sleep thread on, on Reddit. Oh yeah. It's yeah. I love no like sleep. you can, you know, there's, <laughs> there's these different options. You can uh, spend a lot of time putting together a really solid short story and and then you know going through months of submission and rejection and maybe finally mm -hmm. get it or you can spend 10 minutes and throw it up on uh reddit and have like seventy thousand views you know that day so it, yeah yeah just just to your point it's interesting how this is sort this stuff sort of blows up like this its own organic you know i don't know club feel to it mm -hmm. yeah what i find particularly interesting about um no sleep on reddit and like the creepypasta thing in general is that the, the different kinds of goals and that they have for stories and the different kind of merits they see in stories like they don't give a crap like anything that where the prose quality is like too polished and too well basically if it doesn't feel like it was written by someone who's just in a panic and isn't actually a writer then the, the yeah. sleep doesn't really want it right yep like it, it needs to yep. feel like authentic and real right more than it needs to feel like well written and i i find it so <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I think I've thrown a couple of my stories on there and yeah, they're nowhere near as close to the ones that are just like, you know, hammered out on a keyboard, just like you said, like mm -hmm. it's like happening right then and there. So, 
yeah, I, I do wonder how much work goes into people to like get the get that sort of style right. You know, like I imagine there's a, there is actually some artifice behind it, like making it feel real without actually making it obvious that it's being written by a writer. It's it's you know? a real skill set, right? I imagine it must be. Yeah, I, yeah. I, at one point, what I want to do is like I want to like get someone who's got a lot of experience with the no sleep thing on and just like or it's like a like if, I don't know if there's a like a anybody any academic in the world who studies creepy pasta. But I would I'd love to, to speak to someone. That story. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to speak to someone about like the the phenomenon, right? It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're we're in well off topic here. Uh, yeah. We're here to talk about your writing. So th- this book as a whole. Um, well, uh, in terms of what to include and how to order it, like how how difficult was that process? Like, what, what was it like to <clears throat> put this whole thing together? You know, it was, it was much more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Mm. So one of the things that I, I guess, uh, if you haven't put together a short story collection, but you've written, you know, a bunch of short stories over the years is the themes that sort of subconsciously play into those stories. And I didn't realize that I'd written so many, I guess, similarly, similarly themed stories as I did. Um, you know, I, I, and, and it wasn't really like obvious to me until I started going through these stories to get them polished up and, in, in the table of contents order. And I was like, Oh shit, I guess, you know, I'm like actually terrified of like people I love dying. Mm. Um, I think I've got a lot of, of, of child loss in it. I've got parent loss, yeah. uh, you know, you know, uh, people you love disappearing and, and it is sort of all focused around family. And so there's a lot and of, you um, think it, what's funny is like, as you're writing all these short stories, you think, Oh, I'm so original. This is something that's never been done before. And then you look back at it and you're like, Oh, I was just sort of like in a, a lot of ways, repeating myself in a new context too. So Hmm. it it was a matter of really looking at the stories and the way they ended and the themes, and then trying to put some distance between the ones that were too similar in effect. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to give away too much spoilers, but you know, there are some stories in there that sort of, you are the monster in the mirror. Right. And I had more of those than I thought. Um, it, 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 it was, yeah, it was harder than I thought it was going to be. And it was darker than I thought too. I was just like, oh shit, this is like, I feel like maybe I need to go see a therapist or something. <laughs> I have some un- unresolved issues with, uh, with grief and loss. And um, so I only had one, one or two sort of lighter stories that I tried to, to throw in there. And, and, and I'm now in my current st- short story, right? I'm like, okay, maybe I need to try to like get a little bit more variety than just, you know, everything is pain and death and loss. So <laughs> It works for one collection, but I don't know if, I, if I'd want to pump another one out like that again. Um, sure. I grew up with a lot of close family death, not immediate family, but extended family funerals and deaths. And mm-hmm. I, I just, cause I was trying, it's funny again, just trying to analyze why I, I wrote these stories and how I put them together. And I, and I think a lot of it was sort of seeds that were planted when I was in my youth going to these funerals, right? Like maybe there are things that I hadn't fully explored. And, and I do think death is, it's the ultimate end, right? It, nobody knows what it is or where it leads and the way that it impacts people is so, so severe, you know, um, so traumatic and, and so important too. So I would say in a lot of ways, my collection is an explore, exploration of grief and death and, and life in ways too, and family. So maybe a really long-winded answer to your question there about the table of contents order, but yeah, it's, it's harder than, it's harder than you'd think. It's, it's a lot harder. And you also have to look at, um, word count, right? Like 
got to make sure you've got the right word counts and, and you're not just hammering in a ton of, of novelettes or, you know, 7,000 word short stories and, and, and not wearing the reader out too. It's all about sort of that. I think one of the best ways I heard it put together was like, you sort of want to have a bit of a roller coaster when you're putting together a collection, meaning, Hey, you have a really dark story, right? But then you're going to rise and you're going to come up to something lighter and kind of give the reader a break. And then you're going to drop back down into a trough or a valley for another couple, you know, I don't know, deeper stories or, or, or darker stories. And then, you know, sort of, sort of like that, I guess, to give it a little bit of relief. Mm, yeah. And uh, this is with, uh, is it Salt Heart Publishing? Salt Heart Publishing, yep. Yeah, yeah. Make sure I got the name right there. Yeah, so that's um, that's uh, PL's thing, right? Yeah, and I should actually say Salt Heart Press, but yeah, PL is, is another member of the House Society, mm-hmm. uh, and her collection is available through Salt Heart as well. Mm. So... Uh, and, and I think they're going to put out rumor is they're going to put out a couple other titles here pretty soon that they're oh, working on. So yeah, just a, yeah, she's been a on small before. little shop for sure. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah she's been on but before. Um, some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love Palm. Yeah. She's cool. Yeah. I like her a lot. So what was it like working with like uh, what's essentially a pretty much a brand new press? Well, you know, a lot of the work and I think this is the case really, to be honest for most Indies, but a a lot of the work just does come down to the author. That's just the way it is these days, even for traditional publishing, right? Like yeah. you're going to be spending a ton of time marketing. You're going to be spending a lot of time getting the book out there, trying to get the book out there, trying to get uh, review uh, requests and, and, and folks to actually take a look at the book. Cause I think the most difficult thing is actually getting people to read it or, or, or rate it. Right. And mm-hmm. um, I did invest some of my own cash in uh, you know, a net galley posting and book sirens I think I sent the book out to something like 60 plus different reviewers and book talkers and um, Instagrammers. And and I got like seven or eight different yeses and the rest just go into the black hole. It's just, you yeah, kind of have to fight and claw and scratch and without a, I guess, a writing tribe like we have through, yeah, yeah. through Howls um, and Discord and, and just knowing each other. It's just really hard to to get people to just even give it a shot, right? Like, I mean, I think that's... Mm-hmm that's that's the the whole goal is just to get people to read your stuff and i think you've probably experienced that with with what you guys did with bloodlines too it's it's hard easy yeah Mm -hmm. it's like marketing is really difficult and yeah you're right you know obviously by this point i've spoken to a fair few editors and a fair few authors on this thing and you know outside of the podcast as well and the reality is the the marketing budgets just aren't there for the overwhelming majority of authors like you're going to be doing it uh unless you're you know unless you're like with one of the big four, you got like a six-figure advance. You're doing your own marketing, you're probably spending your own money. Um, that's mm-hmm. just the reality for authors these days. Like there was a post-war boom, which allowed a lot of like, which allowed a lot of people to make a lot of money from publishing. But that only lasted like 30, 40 years, and the, the rest of history of writing has been writers have to have other jobs, they have to struggle, and uh, you know it's just the reality. You know, yeah, um, trope in and of itself, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool what you put together. I think the, uh, who, who did the cover? Actually, I didn't. So Luke Spooner with Carrion House. Luke Spooner with Carrion House. Yeah, yeah. That's He's a- done a lot of stuff for like Cemetery Gates. He did mm-hmm. um, Christy Nogle's um, Beulah, I believe is how she pronounces it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's another good cover. They've got, they've, you know, the guy is just incredible. I, I just love, I don't think there's a cover that I've seen that I dislike of his, to be honest. Um, 
it's almost like an impressionistic style, mm. but yeah, he's just killer. I mean, the stuff he does, I just love. Uh, I'd almost want to do every cover I ever do going forward with him, but I, I think it's good to get some variety too. Right. And there's some really cool mm. covers out there like uh, Shane Hawks and Noka. I yeah. think that was pure pen and ink, you know, werewolf. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the covers, you know, the, speaking of marketing, it's just, it's just so crucial and so critical. And I've had a lot of people mention that they actually took a shot on the book or selected it as an arc just because of the cover. Right. And mm -hmm. there's so many authors, I think still who don't invest in the cover or, yeah. or, the, really or they don't have the resources to, that's another issue. Like, like yeah, if I was to, if, if I was to put together a book right now for self-publishing, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to afford the kind of cover I would want, you know, which is one of the main reasons that I'm not self-publishing a whole bunch of shit right now. <laughs> like, well, I, I think Rooster Republic. There's there's some that I think are quite we, we affordable in terms of. For, yeah, we used Rooster Republic for Bloodlines. Yeah. Do you know? Do you remember how much that cost you guys? Two hundred. So that's really pretty affordable for a cover, but. Yeah. But there you are already 200 in the hole, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, I totally get that. But it's just, yeah, it's so crucial to get that cover, right? To gen up the interest, really, the reader interest. They're just... Absolutely. It's just the way we are. We're visual creatures. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And the one thing I liked particularly about the cover was actually was the use of color on it. Um, I thought it was very well... Yeah, like the, the color in particular, I think, was especially was very well done on that. So, so another sort of interesting backstory with the collection and the way the cover came about. Yeah, I wasn't going to use "If Only Heart" as the title. Uh, I'd, I'd gone through a million different titles, and I, I'd settled on "A Heart Full of Razor Blades." Uh, oh, so he put it together right based on that title, and mm -hmm. um, it was sort of this extreme font, and it, it, like you said, it almost actually was like a metal look to it. Yeah, yeah, um, like Metallica put it together or something, and. Mm -hmm. It, it, and it just didn't fit the vibe of the book. It, it almost like, I guess, was advertising, in my opinion, like extreme horror, right? Mm -hmm. And the book's definitely not extreme horror. So I was like, okay, what can I sort of pull as an audible here? And If Only a Heart was was obviously the only story I had in there that had a, a heart in the title. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's, that's how it came to be. And I really enjoyed um, it, it, it. It turned out much better. And the font even made a huge difference too, which was funny, oh, yeah. right? Like, it, it changed the whole feel of the book, but mm. that's actually how it came about. That's how we wound up doing it. But the colors, yeah, the colors are, man, it's almost from an essence of, I don't even know. Like it almost feels like nineties to me, which I like. I'm a nineties mm. kid myself. So. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can see what you said that. Um, in terms of your other works, have you got, um, are you submitting a novel at the moment? Yeah. So uh, I got a lot of short story stuff out there, a lot of podcasts. Um, yeah. Folks can jump in on if they ever want to get a feel for my writing. But um, I, I did put together. So I've, I've always sort of considered myself a novelist as it's where I really want to end up. Mm -hmm. And in fact, was writing novels exclusively uh, for a long time and not getting them published. Right. Uh, and I was in between those times banging out some short stories to sort of keep the practice. And <clears throat> um I screwed up my first novel and I spent about five years writing that the, the proverbial in the drawer, uh, junk novel. Um, my parents loved it though, you know? So, mm. uh, but then I, I, I spent a year or two reading plot books and, uh, wrote my second novel, um, which is called feeders over a period of two years. And, I, with that book, I actually wound up getting an agent and we took that book out on sub to um, 
to the bigger houses. And it got really close. It actually made it to some acquisition boards. And for folks that don't know, right, like it's not just that the editor at a publishing house has to pick your book and be in love with it. They've got to pick it, be in love with it, and then take it to basically a boardroom and fight for the book and get a vote on that book before it will be published. So you, you not only have to get the buy off of the editor, you have to get all the people behind the editor to buy off too. It's what, something I wasn't prepared for is that it's almost harder to sell a book after you have an agent than it is to get the agent in the first place and getting an agent in the first place is an extreme battle too. It's, it, mm -hmm. it's so much work. Yeah. And um, so I spent, we spent, you know, a couple of years on sub with that thing. And um, again, got a lot of interest, a lot of great feedback, but never fully got it across the finish line, which, which was another reason I was like, I got to put a collection together and put something out because I got to get my name out there. I got to get my work out there. I've been waiting for so long working with my agent on a couple of novels to, to sell and get out that it, it feels like you've been writing forever, right? It feels like um, you've been putting in the work forever and grinding forever and uh, working super hard to make something happen. And, you know, you have two, three, four, five years go by and it's like, oh, wait, nobody still knows my name or even knows who I am or knows my writing. Unless you're putting out short stories or you're self-publishing or, or working with an indie, you're just not getting your work out there. And it's, it's almost a big myth that um, I think writers buy at times is that you have to go just traditional and that's the only way you're really going to break out, you know? But then you look at people like Stephen Graham Jones, who just kept putting out book after book after book until he could no longer be ignored. And mm -hmm. so it's, it, I've totally done a 180. I was 100%, I'm going to go traditional publishing mm. and nothing else yeah. to having joined Howls and Discord and, and talked with a lot of folks and, and seen the, the progress of a lot of the authors that we both know. Mm. Um, and they're just doing it. They're putting in the work. They're, they're getting their stuff out there. They're doing a great job. It's awesome stuff. And I, I think I, I'm, I'm at a point in my career where it's like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily old, but I am 42 and I've been writing since my late twenties, early thirties. And so it's just, it's just time. I, I've got the fire in me. So as far as marketing goes and all that stuff, man, I'm willing to put in the work and grind for sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you're saying is, you know, quite a significant thing is that like there was a point in time where you needed to go through the trad publishing gatekeepers. Um, but that, you know, that isn't the case today, right? Like a lot of people have incredibly successful careers without ever speaking to an agent. Incredibly um, successful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like, uh, yeah, there's one guy who wrote something called Wool. It's like a Hugh Howie. He, that's the guy. Doesn't he just like live on a yacht and do yoga now? Like, yeah, yeah. And in fact, uh, he's he's one of my, he's one of my self-publishing heroes. He's got a lot of podcasts out that are yeah, yeah. really fascinating to listen to his story. I mean, he had the benefit of being on the self-publishing wave right when it first started cresting, mm -hmm. and I think it was easier at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. But if I remember correctly from one of his podcasts, he was saying that he he didn't get a he didn't get an advance. He tried, you know, he got rejected. Started self-publishing got some traditional interests. And by the time they brought him a, a deal in advance, he'd already made that much in the last few months. Right. And then it just kept going that way to the point where he even, he even got a seven figure advance at one point. He's like, well, I just made that in the last year. So why would I ever go with a traditional publisher at this point? There's just, it doesn't make yeah, yeah. financial sense. Right. So mm -hmm. he, he's done a great job with that. Um, uh, who, who's the guy, there's a guy who just raised a, what was it like a $15 million Kickstarter? I think he's a self publisher. Um, Sanderson. Uh, he was traditionally published. Was uh, he? Okay, maybe I'm well. Yeah, his career has been traditionally published, um, but he's 
raised this money so that he can just basically publish his own stuff. He's going, so, oh, yeah, he's going in his, that's what it was. And then like, didn't Adam Neville do the same thing too? I think he started his own. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he started his, moving into. Yeah. He started a micro press and just publishes a lot of his own stuff. Cause a lot, a lot of his stuff was sold to, um, cause obviously he's, he's, he's a Brit and uh, a lot of his stuff was sold to UK agents, UK publishing houses. And a lot of it wasn't available in the U S which is where most horror, most English language horror readers are in the U S because the publishing houses hadn't sold the, managed to sell the rights to American publishing houses. Oh, interesting. So, so he was just like, you know, screw it, I'm just going to do it myself. Like, you know, why wouldn't you? He was like um, locked up, right? Like he wasn't able to tap a huge audience. No, no, no. Because it was just, he just, he, it was only the English market that he was accessing with a lot of his books. Um, yeah, because you know, like publishing houses, they like to like buy all the rights, but then they'll use the rights for the, where they are, and then they'll try and sell the international rights, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, mm-hmm. is that situation. But um, the home market was the UK, which is so much smaller than the US market. Because um, like horror is less popular here than the US anyway, and we're a much smaller country. I never uh, would have thought that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean. Well, to be fair, I don't know for sure that that's the case. I just assume it is um, because I don't know a lot of people personally that read horror in the UK. I I haven't seen any stats on it, but I I suspect that probably things like crime and like really dark, gritty crime is more popular here than uh, horror novels by quite a long distance. Um, You know, most like a, a, a lot of bookshops over here still don't have like horror sections. It's like you just get like oh, a shelf. Yeah, yeah, you still just get like a shelf or two of horror in with the sci-fi and fantasy in a lot of places. That's really interesting. I mean, you know, the UK is just has such a like a noir feel, right? Like it's very gothic. Yeah. Very old. And, and you just you sort of feel like it's the perfect country for horror with the, the cloud cover at times and stuff. But I, can I, totally I would agree it. with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we've got some great horror writers, you know, Ramsey Campbell, Clive oh, Barker. Yeah. Like, mm. You know, like the classic Gothic novels are all fantastic. Like there's there's such a like past and present, so many good British horror authors. But they do ninety percent plus of their selling in the US. Yeah, well, that's 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 actually really interesting to know. Did not know that. Mm. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, back to the whole like self pub, you know, traditional pub. I think. I think the the better approach these days is more of a hybrid approach and I'm doing a really horrible job at getting around to answering your questions in these sort of roundabout ways. But as far as a book coming out, I sold this book that I was targeting traditional publishers with Mm -hmm. to uh, a small press, uh, Timber Ghost Press, which is putting out some some really good stuff and some really good work. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually talking about, you know, PL, her, her novella, Sisters of the Crimson Vines coming out soon. Uh, mm. there's a couple others that I've seen too, that I, I need to check out, but, uh, yeah, mine's going to be coming out next October th- through them and, and, and awesome. they're going to be great for it because it is, it is a, it's a story that it's about addiction. It's about opioid addiction, which is something that I haven't really seen discussed mm. or, and I think that kind of held me back a little bit from getting a deal. I, I think there was some, there were some folks who said, Hey, would you consider actually switching this to alcohol because we can't sell drug addiction? Um, mm. And it would have just changed the entire nature of the story. So I didn't, I didn't do that. Uh, I kept yeah. it as it was. And I, I, I've always felt that it's a good book, right? I put a ton of work, a ton of time into it. I got uh, some developmental editors to help me to actually really make sure the plot was, was making sense. And um, it, 
talk about like pedal to the metal, right? This one's got a lot of that in it. Mm. So you might enjoy it actually, Anthony, if you enjoy it, if only a heart, but uh, I think it's a little more cohesive plot wise, but, uh, but yeah, that's exciting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that coming out um, next. I think it's coming out next October. And then I've got another fully completed novel that I'm going to take out to Indies here relatively soon and, and working on a, on a new one that I think has a lot of serious potential. That's uh, mm. sort of, I would say an abstract version of Dante's Inferno with uh, oh, cool. a guy who has uh, been stuck in hell for a long time and, and mm. escapes. So um, really looking forward to getting that one out there. That one at this point in my writing career is coming to bat together easier and, and more, I guess, uh, fluidly than my other works have so it just feels right so i'm really excited to see where that one will go awesome yeah that does sound really good um i'm very nearly out of questions uh but one thing i like to do at the end of podcast interviews discussions and such is to ask a guest to recommend something um this can be a book movie game a song whatever but something you know that's in keeping with the sort of general vibe of the podcast and stuff like horror dark stuff um what have you been consuming recently that's good and along these kind of lines well the one <laughs> the, the book i would recommend i actually did wind up finding through house so i can't take credit for it but it, mm. i just really loved it it's so off the wall and ridiculous and it, it was just great i mean the writing is incredible but that was a uh, bonnie by mona and i don't know if i'm gonna say her name correctly mona awad I absolutely that I'm not sure if that's the right, the right pronunciation, but yeah. if, if folks haven't read that book, um, it's just a trip. It's a lot of fun. Uh, another book, which I recently read, which man, it, it was such a hard read and it pretty much made me sick. I mean, sick to read it, but it stuck with me for a long time. And, and I kind of feel like a mark of good horror is you think about it or it creates an emotional response and that emotional response can be good. It can be bad. It can be whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. If somebody's writing something that creates an emotional response in you, they've done a good job. But this book I'm still thinking about, but it's Tender as the Flesh. I don't know if you've read that one. I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What'd you think yeah. of that book? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good, man. Um, it didn't... I don't know if it's just because I'm a vegan and I've consumed a lot of vegan propaganda over the years, but I don't <laughs> think it hit me as hard as it hit a lot of people. Um, but I did think it was pretty good. Yeah, solid. Um it was relentless, right? It's just like, so vicious. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, so for a horror movie to just like sort of trip people out and it's, it's an older one. In fact, it's in the title, but have you seen the Korean version of old boy? No, I haven't. I do need to, I really need to. I've heard such good stuff. Yeah. It might be my favorite horror movie of all time. I mean, the, really? the, the American old boy, I kind of think is trash, but this one is just, it it's, it's lights out. It's incredible. And it, I, I didn't know it was a horror movie. I thought it was like it's a so disturbing. I thought it was like crime noir or something. I didn't know. It was you horror. can mix, you know, <clears throat> it has that feel, but I would say that by the end, it's about as horror as you can get. Okay. That, that does strike my interest. I'll definitely make time for that as soon as possible. Yeah. yeah all right. I, I could rattle off quite a few others, but yeah, I mean, that one, that one always, is always up there on my list. So check mm -hmm. it out. Yeah, I'll have to. Definitely. All right. Um, was there anything else you wanted to speak about before we say goodbye? You know, not really. Um, if folks are interested, they can they can give my uh my collection a shot. <clears throat> it's $3.99 on Amazon for an EPUB. Uh so you know, a little less than a cup of coffee, but otherwise, just really appreciate 
you know, being on uh, the, the show and chatting with you. And I think this is the first time we've actually met face to face, despite, you know, yeah, texting is. each other quite a bit through the chat rooms. But yeah, yeah. Nice to meet you as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Same to you, man. Um, just one more time. Where can people find you? So www.calebstevensauthor.com is my website. I've got all my stuff on there pretty much. You can catch me on Twitter at C Stevens author and it's Stevens with a PH, not a V. So a lot of people go with the V, but it's definitely a PH, but those are the two primary venues where I'm, I'm active. I'm on Goodreads of course, and all that, but love chatting with folks about writing and anything horror and just, uh, you know, fiction in general. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Likewise, Anthony. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Terrify Me with Anthony Frost. The theme music is by Jason Shaw on audionautics.com and used under Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TerrifyMePod, all one word. For more from me, visit AnthonyFrost.com or follow me on Twitter at AnthonyRFrost. That's Anthony without an H. See you next time.